Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, bringing you an early week Oscar race checkpoint, and there is a lot of stuff to talk about within this checkpoint, and this is our weekly, I guess it has been weekly, and sometimes multiple times a week lately, news segment about all things award season and Oscar-centric. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. So if you hear what sounds like a Pots and Pans band behind me, that's not what you think it is it is the basically the end of the world it is exodus oh it is exodus gods and kings outside <laughs> with these hailstorms in connecticut yeah. what the it's, hell mike the new england weather has been like i said to you before we hit record it's april showers bring may snowstorms because we've dealt with now Why? our second day of hail and sleet coming down uh in may. it's may 11th by the way mm. just throwing that out there may 11th is what we're talking about and it's our second day within the last two weeks of dealing with hay hail and snowstorm and all that fun winter weather because you know, I mean, when you're going for an apocalypse with murder hornets <laughs> and a plague of pestilence, why not have a hailstorm in the middle of May, too? Just as little icing on the cake, you know? But we're here. We're still going to mm-hmm. talk about the, the shifting world of the awards season and, and awards movies and all that fun stuff. And we do have at least some kind of exciting news and something to look forward to to start off this episode with, Mike. And it has to do with Spike Lee's latest movie. Yeah, The Five Bloods is coming to Netflix June 12th. Uh, Spike Lee also dropped a short film this past week about his love of New York. Mike, uh, The Five Bloods was set for a Cannes debut. It was expected previously to have a fall release, but uh, this is happy news. We need a good movie, a pedigreed movie, an Oscars movie so much. Like, we've been grasping at straws. I mean, this has been the worst five-month stretch of new movie watching (laughs) that I have ever dealt with. Now, I mean, to everybody's credit, like, we have come across a few hidden gems, but we've really had to find them. We've really had to you know, bend over backwards to, to make sure we review them. And, and, you know, our audiences, they turn out for it. So we appreciate that. I don't want to, sure. I just don't Absolutely. want to take a huge, you know, hailstorm on uh, our <laughs> entire programming over the last four months. And so nobody listens to it. Well, me, me and future Oscar winner, Pete Davidson, take exception to this rant, by the way, but proceed. <laughs> but you're right. There's a lot of exciting new movies coming out. This one, The Five Bloods, has a synopsis that reads, four African-American Vietnam veterans return to Vietnam. They are in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader and the promise of buried treasure. These heroes battle forces of humanity and nature while confronted by the lasting ravages of the immortality of the Vietnam War, starring Chadwick Boseman, Jonathan Majors, Six Degrees of MMO or Jonathan Majors, Paul Walter Hauser, friend of the show, Delroy Lindo, and Clark Peters, Michael. Yeah, so we got a little premise that is a little bit of Saving Private Ryan, a little bit of George Clooney, Three Kings, Spike Lee's the one directing and writing it, so it's interesting, and the reason it was going to debut at Cannes, don't forget, Spike Lee was to be the first black president of the Cannes jury this year, uh, which would have made this film's debut there even more momentous, obviously, than it is already, following up on the heels of Black Klansman as it is, Spike Lee's finally breakthrough Academy Award winning uh, screenplay there that happened two years ago, so... Uh, let's talk about this, Mike. It's coming in. It's coming out Netflix in June. What do we think about this? He's got a lot of the band coming back together on this one. He's got the writers from Black Klansman joining him here. Uh, I do think you know we're going to have a lot to say about the Cannes Film Festival at the end of this episode. A lot of news dropped on that. Mm-hmm. It's sad that he can't premiere it there Very. like he did Black Klansman. Like he, you know, he got the the buzz train going, the uh, Oscar campaign going at uh, the Cannes Film Festival two years ago for his eventual Oscar win. So that, that's a shame that this is not happening. I do hope we get more eyes on this movie, though, because of the unique circumstances that we're in. So that's the question I wanted to ask you. You know, do you think Netflix is moving this release schedule around to, you know, season opportunity with this movie for, for Oscar reasons? Well, 
So you said you led this off by saying this was originally a fall release. Mm. Wide, at least, anyway. Obviously, it was going to make its debut at Cannes. Expected, but they were going to hold yeah. off the thing. Okay. I, I think it's tough to answer on its face, if only because we never really know what Netflix is ever planning on doing. We only know what they let us know at any given time, unless it's something like The Irishman. <laughs> and I don't get the feeling that this is their 2020 Irishman. No, I don't think it's it's a $300 million property that's supposed to uh, basically get them to the promised land at the Oscars. But you never know, based on what's been winning at the Oscars, a movie like this made for whatever, 25 to $50 million, whatever they, you know, anteed up for it. It might have a lot of success there if it has the goods. And if it has the goods in June, I just wonder if that's going to go the distance. Because Spike Lee's last 12 movies, Mike, five of them have been released in quarter four. Five of them have been released in quarter three. One from quarter two, one from quarter one. Black Klansman, notably, released in August. So... Spike Lee's been all over the calendar with his films. He's done quarter one hits like Inside Man. Look, movie industry. I'm just at the point where I I, I need good new movies. I need <laughs> Oscar sprint profiles at this point. And, and unfortunately, this is a you problem, movie industry. This is definitely a you problem. I understand that the theatrical movie going experience is to be revered and treasured and safeguarded. I, I agree with that. But I also think... Like, you got an opportunity where the demand is there for people who want to watch movies. You got to find compromises to get these movies to the people when they want to watch them. And we want to watch them right now. I want to watch this movie. Yeah, I think that's what Netflix's impetus is here. I think they're capitalizing on that idea more so than they are, like, seeing this as an opportunity to avoid having to theatrically distribute this movie. Right. If this was Mank, mm -hmm. if this was the movie... Uh, that we were sure Netflix was positioning as its yearly Oscars fodder. And it's the one that Netflix was going to throw their weight behind, which we, th for award season purposes anyway, which we think is going to be Mank. And it seems it smells like Mank is going to be that type of picture. Uh, if they were doing that, and saying, okay, we're going to release Mank in June, mm -hmm. I think that would make sense to me as well. They're probably doing that, yes, because we need a good movie right now, for one, and there's an opening, but two, to avoid having to put it out in theaters and kind of dangling this carrot out there for all moviegoers saying, well, if you want to watch this movie that's going to be a guaranteed Oscars contender, you have to get Netflix because you're not going to be able to see it in any theaters at all this year now. Uh, I don't think this is that's happening. I think there is going to be a built-in audience like there is anytime Spike Lee... Uh, debuts a movie or writes Definitely. a movie, but I don't think necessarily it's going to be they're capitalizing on something that they think that this is going to be a huge deal because go back to Barry Jenkins. You know, he won his adapted screenplay award for Moonlight. His follow-up was Beale Street. That didn't do particularly well at the box office. Jordan Peele, you know, wins the original screenplay for, for Get Out. Follow-up is Us. It does about the same at the box office worldwide anyway. So it's not necessarily like once a guy, a noted director, writer-director, wins his Oscar for a screenplay that his follow-up does huge. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Netflix is thinking there's going to be this massive audience because Spike Lee is just fresh off his Oscar. But I think they do see this hole in the zeitgeist right now. They do see an opportunity to get some eyes on their product. And they think maybe there can be a movie here that capitalizes on the moment that otherwise wouldn't have. So I think that's what they're going for. That might make sense to me. I, I hope you're right. And I hope that's the case. Obviously, this could be a situation where this movie does not have the goods and it is basically being right. relegated to an earlier month on the release schedule to just, you know, hopefully, you know, do well on streaming. And they're OK with that much. Now, you, you talked about Mank. Or you forgot to mention Hillbilly Elegy. As yeah, you that's, that's another one. True, that's yeah. Another, like, if one of those moved till now, Mike, what would we think about those movies? I would tend to think that, all right, it just doesn't have the goods, and basically it's being relegated. Right. That's what I would think for it. But... It would be fascinating to watch Netflix play around with Oscar campaigning as we know it. They just tried perhaps almost an antiquated, you know, campaign style last year, just putting up every billboard possible. I mean, it was almost like back to the 1980s, even before, you know, Miramax really got going and how they started to campaign. So I wonder if they're trying to, you know, get this on our radars right now. 
And they they need to, you, first of all, if you're going to be able to make this work as an Oscars movie, then it has to have some notoriety going into it. Spike Lee is the name. This is Which a great cast. Right. Exactly. So, so you exactly. have enough to get people's interest. Now, if the movie has the goods, if it's a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if it's you know one of Spike Lee's better films, let's just say it's on the level of an Inside Man or a 25th Hour. If it's the movie of the month, and it's going to be a big month for, for movies, we hope, or a bigger month, let's just say. It's not a big month. But compared to the last five, it's a big month. If it's a bigger <laughs> month for movies, then we're going to remember this quarantine, potentially, especially if it's one of the latter movies of this... Uh, <sighs> What do I want to call this? We are basically chained to our house. Hell? Hell. hell. You yeah. can call if, this hell. <laughs> if it's the last thing we remember from hell, then it's going to stick in our brains as finally we saw a great movie at the end of hell. Yeah, you're making a uh, you're making a point that I was going to bring up at the end here anyway. It's we talked to so many experts last year at the end of uh, you know going into Oscar season at the beginning of this actual calendar year, at the end of the film year last year and it was why didn't Once Upon a Time in Hollywood register? And you mm-hmm. know, everyone from Scott Feinberg, William Bibiani, a lot of people we talked to said, well, it was a summer release mm-hmm. and it's tough to have legs from the summer all the way through award season if you're not a spe- you know, a head and shoulders the best movie on the year. It's almost the opposite this year it's almost the inverse and it's because of what you just said like there's an opportunity here for a movie to become the movie of hell the movie of quarantine the movie where there was nothing going on and it was it gave all of us it will gave all of us hope it gave all of us excitement it was a conversation piece so it's almost the opposite as it is for every other year and that summer is barren right now and it's gonna this kind of bleeds into our next story anyway but uh, and that there's very few movies that could be that type of movie to have to, you know, seize onto the zeitgeist and have its award legs last all the way to the next year's Academy Awards. Well, it could fill the void because there's right. not going to be the same opportunities for a parasite to just grab hold in May, just get the buzz to a fever pitch. And then with every single festival in the fall, that probably is not happening now, at least as we know it. To, to this point, we'll talk about it at the end of the episode. So in the absence of those indie films, the typical vetting, as Ann Thompson calls it, the vetting of these potential Oscar contenders, right. in that absence, something like Netflix could take a shot here if the movie has the goods, put it out early, and if it's at that quality of a once upon a time in Hollywood, it might put itself in such a runaway ca- capacity with with a diluted right. field to come that it's going to have to be there at the end because it's just too good to ignore and it's just on everybody's mind and we'll never forget it because they get, they gave us a good movie right when we're I, going I, through hell that's exact that's exactly exactly what I'm thinking and also I mean talking about the film festival stuff I know we keep alluding we have more canon film festival news at the end of the show but I, because of the film festival slate and the way it has shaken out this year, I almost think this Oscars is going to be only headline names. I don't think you're going to get like a Parasite or any of these undercard or you know first time breakthrough performances because you're not going to have the opportunity for word of mouth if the world keeps going like it has been these first five months. Well, you know what I mean? Like I, you're you're going to have to rely on the only way you're going to get momentum is if you have the big names and the cachet already attached like you do for the Five Bloods right now or like you do for Tenant, which we're going to talk about next. That's a safe bet. There's no doubt about it. That's a safe bet. I mean, how could you bet on a Minari? Or Mm -hmm. let's just say Minari's probably got an upper hand on the other movies because at least it got buzz going at Sundance. But the next Minari, how can you bet on it? Because it's not going to have the same uh, roll-up. There's no chance of it. So maybe this is Netflix's version of let's get the ball rolling on something, and I I hope it's the case. Mike, speaking of Ann Thompson, she wrote a great article on IndieWire today about Tenet and and can it salvage the summer? Will Christopher Nolan save the movie-going experience? Will it stay on that July 17th date? There's a bunch of big takeaways from her article. Obviously, Chris Nolan wants it to stay on that date and he says he wants to help movie theaters. If it does move, if Tenet moves, the word is, according to Ann Thompson, that it's going to move to Wonder Woman 1984's date of August 14th, uh, and then Wonder Woman will move to December. That would be like a WB, within, you know, same studio domino there. 
Interesting. And, and then, of course, the, the, the next movie on the schedule is Mulan on July 27th, and you're wondering what's going to happen with that. Well, Ann Thompson reported that basically there's so many merchandising deals for Mulan, she does not think Mulan will move. So it's basically Mulan's going to be a Disney Plus vehicle, it's going to be a VOD vehicle, it's going to be a direct-to-watch-at-home vehicle, or it's going to be an in-theater vehicle. They're probably not going to be able to move it because of the worldwide merchandising deals. I mean, if Mulan goes to Disney Plus, this is going to be taking a bath domestically as far as its movie go, movies go. Because they won't have any revenue stream from Artemis Fowl, even though I think that wouldn't have made money. But regardless, that's going to Disney Plus. They won't have any revenue stream from Mulan, which I still think they would distribute internationally just because that speaks so easily to an international market uh, that I think they would have to show that one just to try to get recoup something on the international market. But, I mean, Disney would be taking a bloodbath there. Will Tenet stay? on its date god we're two months away and i still don't see how this world returns to any semblance of normalcy or how 50 percent of a theater's capacity is going to be willing to go to the movie theaters well, uh, anytime soon you're very pessimistic about it i am, but I am. let's I am. be honest they're starting to reopen movie theaters you know last weekend Literally in, in Connecticut. We're going to talk about it in the next episode, but Hong Kong, I believe, is reopening cinemas this week. The UK says July. China's, you know, getting ready to reopen. So they are, they're starting to open doors again, and they're starting to work with this reduced capacity. And they're going to see if they can slowly but surely, you know, get back to full capacity. Yeah, and I just want to, I want to clarify thing. You're calling me pessimistic, and you're absolutely right. I do have, I think this is just my, the way I'm viewing this whole pandemic going forward anyways i have this underlying fear about Mm -hmm. all the experts how saying that there's going to be a bounce back in the fall and you couple that with the states that have eased restrictions completely Mm -hmm. uh texas georgia we've talked about them on the show before and how when they've done that there's been an immediate spike and how nationwide there's this kind of the momentum is going back up. The curve is going back up on all the states that have eased restrictions. And if you if you take away New York and what they've done for mm-hmm. their yeah. guidelines, if you take away them from the national data as far as what COVID's doing, the curve is actually going up. At least that's how the news portrays it. So if that's the truth, couple that with a bounce back of this in the fall, and it just, I, I feel like there's this insistence to get back to normalcy when... it's still not time. And I think that could be very, very dangerous. And you're right. I do. That does make my outset and my mindset pessimistic. You're absolutely right. Well, uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't have much more on it than that. I hope you're wrong in a, in a so sense. So do I. But so do I. I. I don't disagree with where your brain is going because you're you're basing it off of you know real life data and and what the major news outlets are saying and everybody politicizes that fine. But I mean, it's still all we have to go on at this point. The bottom line is, you know, movie theaters are not going to survive very well without a New York without a, a LA, without major markets in China. They're, they're just, I mean, the chains are going to struggle in that case. Obviously, the chains are going to really struggle with 50% capacity or less. Uh, and the, I guess the question becomes is, can they, you know, just have a plethora of screenings to where, all right, every movie theater in the place is showing Tenant or every other movie theater is showing Tenant and Mulan. And that makes maybe a profitable film, if if not a blockbuster. And they're basically, you know, looking at this, like Christopher Nolan said before, like we don't need to th- this to be the a record breaker. We just need it to make some money for these theaters. And, you know, just, yeah. we need a good movie that makes money for the theaters to help them get back on their feet. I don't need to break records. And to his credit, if you you follow any of the trades, Christopher Nolan's been, according to sources and people who are in the know, you've been going crazy calling movie theaters personally and advocating for IMAX and advocating for reopenings and advocating to, to help with, you know, uh, reopening guidelines. So mm-hmm. he's certainly doing his part, and I do truly think his heart is in the right place, and especially, I, I, I you know, I have nothing to go on except the man's words, but I, I do believe him when he says, you know, I don't want to make buku bucks, I just want basically movie theaters to survive and get back to normal, which I think we all do. Um, so, I'm hopeful, but again, I'm, I am pessimistic. Go to your head, Mike. Does Tenet stay July 17th? No, I, th- I gun to my head, I think it would move to August 14th. And I agree with Wonder you. Wonder Woman would get moved. Uh, so at the end of all that, me being a contrarian, I would probably agree with you. But I'm, I'm, I don't think, 
I'm a little more optimistic, let's just say. I, you are. I hope by the end of the summer that things start to turn because a lot of you know major big businesses that are that are paying very close attention to this are getting ready for fall rollouts and you know maybe that's you know based on China's model and how it's taken them 6 to 8 months maybe that you know gives me some hope to that we can get going again you know 6 to 8 months after we started this quarantine in in March so all right uh, we got a bunch of other movies so I kind of run through them and rip them off real quick that kind of announced new release dates mike mhm the Courier is the first one that's coming out in August now. This is the Benedict Cumberbatch spy movie that they changed from Ironbark, who's was based on the code name or titled on the code name. Now it's called The Courier. First question, are you more inclined to see a movie entitled The Courier or Ironbark? Uh, the Courier, because any iron anything reminds me of Iron Weed, which featured the saddest hand job in cinematic history. That's a correct uh, answer. Yes, with, uh, with Oscar winner Meryl Streep in it. So yes, I think The Courier is a good name change there. All right, and Cumberbatch's performance has the most awards buzz as of now. But again, this is not a wholly unknown picture. This one played at Sundance, and he got a lot of praise for it. Carrying a 62 Metascore right now, Ben Pearson of Slash Film is one of the 10 critics who already contributed to the Metascore, giving it that 62. He gave it a 70, and he had a quote that said, if it, this came out 10 to 20 years ago, it's the type of film that would have been a mainstay on TV, TNT or TBS's daily rotation. And that made me smile hmm. because it's when life was simpler. Life was simpler back then. Remember how Shawshank Redemption played itself exactly. into a not just a cult classic, but into like one of the best movies of all time based on how it played on you know TNT. One of our early MMO episodes, I tied uh, the Hulk Hogan's heel turn in WCW and how that turned Shawshank Redemption and saved Shawshank Redemption and made it into the classic it is today. Wow! Uh, and I, I was very proud of that line that uh, that link I was able to draw. So that's what first connected you to the Academy Awards. <laughs> you basically yes. you were you were given permission by Hulk Hogan to become a fan of the Oscars. When if you were Hulk a kid. Hogan doesn't tell me to do it, I won't do it in the first place. That's just a life rule of mine. Uh, and you were how old then? You were three, eight years old. Twenty-seven. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, 95. You were eight years old. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, that's perfect. Mike, Made in Italy from IFC Films with Liam Neeson's. That is going to be put available in theaters, drive-ins, and VOD later this summer as well. This is weird because IFC Films, they just said that they're coming out with, you know, 200 films. They're giving them to uh, movie theaters around the world, play them for free, make some money here. You know, we're helping you. And now they're breaking windows (laughs) on purpose with their next big movie. Yeah, I'm going to have to be convinced that everyone's forgiven Liam Neeson. Just like I'm going to have to be convinced that everyone's forgiven Hulk Hogan, ironically enough. But I'm going to have to be uh, convinced that everyone's, that Liam Neeson's, uh, in everyone's good graces, again, enough to uh, be a profitable leading man. After he his, needs uh, another uh, Key and Peele sketch to make people like him again. Yeah, I, th- I think he did a, did a big foot in the old mouth there last year. All right, well, we got some Oscar trailers, Mike, and the first one is of another movie that we really want to see on June 14th, The King of Staten Island. Yeah, so this one is Oscars eligible. It was going to have a theatrical rollout, and it's going straight to VO, premium VOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Judd Apatow movie. This is the Oscar race checkpoint episode, so no premises or ridiculous premises for us because these are the trailers that we're supposed to take a little more seriously and build anticipation for. That's right. I could not be more of a fan of this, and my anticipation couldn't be higher. I, I loved how this trailer handled uh, the, the premise and the framing of this story. Right off the bat, you have this really horrible dead dad joke that is legitimately funny and I don't think many other people could have pulled it off if it wasn't for our relationship with Pete Davidson and how he's been in our lives for years already letting us know that he's come to terms and he's coped with his dad's death and he himself jokes about it and it's that kind of relationship and sincerity that I think is going to lead to him actually being at least a Golden Globe nominee. Because one, I think there's going to be a giant hole in the uh, in the Golden Globes comedy or musical side. I don't think we're going to have many performances this year that are going to be awards worthy. Right. Uh, two, I think this is just going to be a really solid movie. I get that sense from it. It quacks like a duck to me. And I think he's going to endear himself to enough people. This could be a huge moment for him. 
Well, when's the last time Judd Apatow made a bad movie? I mean, he doesn't really make bad movies when he writes and directs them. I mean, he knows what he's doing. So you can, right. you can rest on the laurels of the filmmaker. Pete Davidson basically came out with another film about arrested development, about this, you know, deadbeat 20-something. It's kind of the same character in a way, or a similar character. And he pulled it off with Flying Colors. We loved Big Time Adolescence. We reviewed it. So Pete Davidson co-wrote this script. It's very autobiographical. Biographical, minus yeah. the fact that he's a worldwide celebrity and comedian. But Mike, I think you got some award narratives here. I mean, it is based on a true story, or at least kind mm-hmm. of that "what if" for Pete Davidson asking himself: as what if he followed in his father's footsteps, and how would his life have turned out in that regard? And I'm sure there's a million metaphors to his actual life, but you get a ton of plot in this trailer. I think each you know big plot turn is funny, so they're playing off some great jokes. But you also got a great cast. Marissa Tomei is crying. She's laughing. She's doing all these crazy things in this trailer that are Oscar-worthy that you typically see in a Marissa Tomei Oscar-level performance. You got Bill Burr acting out of his mind. Perfectly casted. Love Bill Burr in this trailer. And then Steve Buscemi is, is very... I mean, I can't believe he's like the soberest one in this trail, <laughs> right? Like he's he's been so goofy in so many things lately. So I, he for him to be the mentor character, the voice of reason for Pete Davidson in this trailer, I'm like, I can't wait for this. I'm I'm with you, and yeah, he put he's Steve Buscemi playing the the opposite of Crazy Eyes from Big Daddy. He's basically yeah. the conscious of the movie, and you know, it's giving giving Pete Davidson the life lessons about his father. But I, I'm with you, man. Our anticipation was high as it is, and. And I, I, somehow it was driven up even more for me. I do worry about that. I mean, I was very excited for funny yeah. people as well, Adam Sandler and and Seth Rogen. And obviously that wasn't a bad movie, but it was one of those movies where right. it went too much with the heart and too much with the relationship and was maybe 45 minutes too long and kind of suffered Correct. because of that. But it so was I'm funny. Ho- it, it was, was about funny. funny. It was funny. People, yeah, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. And Chad Apatow knows how to certainly make something heartfelt and emotional and funny as well. Uh, I'm very high on it. My fingers are crossed, and I, I, I think Pete Davidson could be a name we talk about in award season. Seriously, I hope so, and I, I hope this movie strikes the same kind of chord that Amy Schumer's train wreck yes. you know, hit upon. When John Apatow's been doing this for a while. Steve Carell wasn't a household name when right. he went with the 40-year-old version. Same with Seth Rogen. He's been doing this his whole career. He's been taking young, talented, on the verge of stardom you know, comedians, and he's been basing movies around them, and it's been working like gangbusters for him. So I'm hoping this is another chance for a Judd Apatow production to do that. Yeah, I think you you hit it on the head. The floor of this is is hopefully funny people, and the ceiling is probably a more enhanced and updated train wreck. I think yeah. that's what we're looking at. Mike, we also got another exciting trailer this past week of Shirley. This is uh, set to debut from Neon on June 5th. All right, so should we tell them, Mike? I mean, <laughs> we should let everyone know. Yes, we do actually run Hollywood. Uh, I can't they listen believe- to us. They listen to us now. <laughs> I can't believe this. We've uh, we've been begging Elizabeth Moss to be in more horrors and more mm-hmm. dark dramas and, and psychological thrillers, and that seems to be all she does anymore. I was dying for Josephine Decker to make another great movie, to make yeah. an Oscar potential movie after Madeline's Madeline with uh, Helena Howard, Miranda July, Molly Parker. That came out a couple Augusts ago. So you know you're getting a, a movie made by a talented director here. You know you're getting a movie with Elizabeth Moss. And, and just in the trailer, it is so obvious. I mean, she is acting the shit out of this. And you, again, have a great... Ca- I mean, I don't know where Michael Stuhlbarg was for 2019, but he's back, baby. Where you been, Mr. S? I mean, an MMO favorite for sure. I mean, if him and Tom Wilkinson and, uh, oh, God rest his soul, Brian Dennehy ever did a movie together, that would be an all-timer. We'd have to do ten- a whole series on it. But, look, I think uh, Elizabeth Moss is working her way into MMO favorite status, too. I mean, she's come out with great quarter one, quarter two yeah. movies, great quarter one performances, her smell last year year the invisible man this year this will be a quarter two performance for her where we're thinking like she's really got a chance to cement herself as one of the household names this award season and i think she's got another movie or two coming out the the end of the year so she might not get a nomination for this movie but the sags may be irresistible to her or she may be irresistible to the screen actors guild because of her year and her body of work yeah, she could have one of these Florence Pugh, Adam Driver type years for mm-hmm. herself. Uh, 
with how they won 2019 and did so much for their careers. Whether or not that ends in an Academy nomination, we'll see. Uh, there's, this movie's already making news for a couple reasons, and you need, like we just talked about earlier, you need some kind of momentum already attached to your movie in order to be considered for this year's Oscars. We think that's, that's how right. it'll play out anyway. But Elizabeth Moss playing writer Shirley Jackson. She uh, is the real-life person who wrote the original source material for Haunting of Hill House. This movie did well at Sundance, and Neon scooped it up. Uh, Neon, of course, is going to make news anytime it scoops up a movie uh, from any film festival after what they did in 2019, especially with Parasite. But this was the movie that uh, reportedly Neon spent the second most amount of money on behind their record-setting purchase of Andy Samberg's Palm Springs. So this is one they have high hopes for themselves. Neon's had great taste lately, so we got to hope it's continuing here. I wonder if this is this movie's about the writing of the lottery. I don't think so. I think that's what established Shirley Jackson, this character, into the spot where, that she's in. The lottery is just a terrifying true story true story i hope not a true story terrifying story that is not prophetic i hope never <laughs> but michael I, I would say everybody read that or listen to that i don't know if you you like listening to apocalyptic nightmares during your quarantine but that would be isn't that just the news <laughs> that would be if you're gonna lean into it you lean into it with that story but I, I don't know how she gets her face so red i don't know how she's uh she's she's acting while sweaty like i can't do anything while sweaty i just have to go in the shower and she's like sweating up a storm here just going off I, I, this is another june film that i'm extremely excited about so we're finally getting a decent month of movie going to come thank god yeah they said june 5th everywhere so that I would assume that means VOD or PVOD for this one as well. I'm guessing. Yeah. I hope so. Otherwise, you know, I, I got to find a hazmat suit because I may <laughs> get a hazmat suit and go to the movies for this one. Mike, the next film we're gonna, we want to talk about, a trailer debuted a little while ago, but it's, again, we're talking about the month of June. Baby Teeth is coming out July, uh, June 19th. So this is big-time adolescence, but with the context of Romeo and Juliet's love story, right? The Australian version of that, yes. Uh, yeah, by the way, Australian, yeah. and this is why we're talking about it, could be an international feature player for uh, from Australia, but is Ben Mendelsohn Australian? Yes. Uh, didn't you not see Animal Kingdom? That was like his breakout film. Oh, my God. What a great American or English or whatever kind of accent you want to talk about. I did not know he was a true Aussie. I think Eliza Scanlon's Australian as well, from Sharp Objects, Little Women, and Beth. I mean, these are talented people. They're not us just putting on a you know a brogue here or there. I mean, they really know how to you know do accents. And even though my mother's always like, well, I think these uh, these Australians and these you know English, they do a better job doing American accents than we do doing you know British accents. Again, I think she's thinking about you and I. She's not thinking. Hey there, governor. Because Meryl Streep and, and Christian Bale, etc., they they can they can hang. Anyway, I can't Mike, do an accent to save my life. So yes, whatever your mother said is gospel. I worry that this subject matter is a little niche in the, in this regard, but at the same time, it might strike a chord with the youth of America or the youth of the world because they're stuck at home, sick of their families, right? They're forced to live in close proximity with them. And if they're trying to, you know, have a Romeo and Juliet type love story in these times, if any of them are so lucky or so uh, condemned to, to be doing that right now, <laughs> I wonder if, you know, Hollywood may have an underground hit on their hands here. And I do think that the Academy has a tendency to honor the movie that really hits with this demographic. This has always been the case. If you have a teenage hit from Love Story onward, if you have a teenage hit that is the newest Romeo and Juliet, you never know. I know there's some crazy-ass wigs in this movie, so <laughs> I'm a little suspicious, but I'm hoping for a good indie film at the very least. It's been a minute since we had something, a true Australian uh, cinematic production that we can kind of sink our teeth into and have Oscars hopes for. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see this one as well. All right, Mike, let's shift gears into some rule change news. Not much happening from the Golden Globes, but they did adjust their eligibility for the best foreign language feature category. Basically, they're just requiring that a movie is released in any format between March 15th and a TBD date. They're not going to hold movies to release in their country of origin like they used to. They're, they're going to, I guess they're 
continuing to do to do the October through December calendar year for them. It's a 15-month calendar year for this particular category, but they can, they have the option of either you know hosting a screening for HFPA members when and if that becomes available, or sending DVDs. So they're basically making it easier on the uh, contenders in this category. Yeah, my only question was: Is this a permanent change, or is this something just for as a response to COVID? And Deadline did cite in their article that this is a temporary change. So I would imagine once the world ever goes back to normal so like in 2034 uh this will <laughs> go away but for now this seems to just be a covid response and i think it just makes good sense yeah i agree uh, not a lot a uh, lot more to add there the emmys made an interesting move where they have now banned oscar nominated projects from their competition starting on a line in the sand netflix drawn a line in the sand now, Scott Feinberg, our friend at The Hollywood Reporter, he actually wrote a follow-up episode citing recent documentaries like Citizen Four, What Happened, Miss Simone, Cartel Land, Strong Island, RBG, all of which were nominated for or won an Oscar before winning an Emmy, right? He says basically this rule change is going to affect documentary films the most, and he doesn't think they went far enough in terms of discouraging these movies for going for one or both. And and I guess now they can't go for both, but I think what he's saying is that they can still try to go for the Oscar, and if they miss, they'll go for the Emmy, and that shouldn't be. You should have to declare yourself Oscar or Emmy beforehand, he thinks. I'm paraphrasing, I guess, but I I think that's what he thinks. Yeah, and I think... How dare I? (laughs) (laughs) Don't interpret God for what? No, I I do think it's smart of the Emmys to kind of draw that line in the sand too because as much as we all i think view the i mean at least ratings would certainly reflect that we think the oscars are more important than the emmys in terms of you know culture appeal or zeitgeist weight or whatever you know the on their face they're supposed to be equals so Mm -hmm. it's smart of the emmys to say like we're not going to let you double dip and use us as the fallback school when you're applying to college mr documentary so i think that makes sense i i I could see their reasoning behind this and i think also from an industry standpoint it's going to enable more films to be highlighted so i think that's a good thing too you have to pick which lane you're in and because you're not taking up two spots, one in each show, they're going to have to find something else to get there. So maybe if RBG doesn't get nominated, maybe the Mr. Rogers film would have finally, you know, broken through and the documentary feature category wouldn't be viewed as it is. Well, that's a perfect example. The last few years, you had Jane, you had uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, you had uh, Apollo 11, and they right. probably, I don't know, but they if they wanted to, they could have you know, qualify for the Emmys at the end of the day after getting snubbed at the Oscars. And I think Scott's saying that, uh, and again, I shouldn't think I know what he thinks. I should just (laughs) quote him and then just shut my mouth. But basically, it's like driving down a highway, and if you don't get off one exit, you could still get off the next exit. And I don't think that's fair. No, it should be you get get the right exit or the next exit is a cliff. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that's what he's saying either, but let's move on before we get ourselves in more trouble. Let's just say we don't know shit about Just read Scott Feinberg's I article. have these 15, these 10, <laughs> 10 commandments. Mike, Emmy campaigns have been changing quite a bit during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. They've been canceling for your consideration uh, events. Some campaigners are doing more uh, on social media. Several projects won't finish production in time. So this end of the year slate for the Emmys is not happening for Fargo, HBO's The Undoing, Cynthia Revo's Aretha Franklin genius show, TV show is not coming out. But the Emmys did change some rules where you can have some kind of extra episodes or episodes finish up in a series a little later than it would have had uh, for the May 31st de- deadline. You can have hanging episodes, as they call it, happen until June 30th. So the TV Academy's done away with screeners like uh, like they've they've done it in the actual Academy, or they will do. They still don't know what to do at Quibi. None of us do. There's a lot of news <laughs> coming out of the Emmys this week. Do you have any commentary on it? Just that it's going to be fascinating this award season, no matter what industry you focus on. 
And I think the Emmys, because they're they're due in September, uh, most time, most years is that's going to be kind of the first blush with it. Right. Uh, I think the Tonys are, are kind of suffering the same idea. How can you award shows that aren't currently going on at all? Yeah, How the Tonys kind of... have an impossible situation because right. the, they're just not they don't have open theaters exactly and and when, for emmys what do you do with a season that only you know got halfway done and then got shut down and then count you know finished its season after the deadline and productions being stalled and all that jazz so every industry stage screen big screen they all have their own unique challenges that they're dealing with here and i think that could in some backwards ass way lead to bigger ratings for a multitude of reasons one out of intrigue and interest two because there will be live events and people are starved for live events right now uh so (laughs) i think this could be a prime opportunity to innovate and find some kind of change for the better for the future if the people in charge want to try to hone in on that uh and i think this is a great you know this you're never going to get a chance like this again Probably not with as many eyes on it as will be this year, I think. Since the coronavirus started, since we've been in quarantine, I've watched 26 seasons of television. Well, yeah, there's that, too. I mean, that's the thing. Like, more people are watching TV right now than ever, for obvious reasons. So more people are probably watching the Emmy contenders more than ever. So there's going to be more eyes on the Emmys than ever before. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of things going for... Certainly the Emmys and Oscars, the Tonys, like you said, are really up against it. They have a very, very difficult uh, circumstance that the, the, in the way that COVID is affecting them. Yeah. And that's well, going to be even more fascinating to figure out. But yeah, the Emmys, the Emmys are kind of going to be the first test balloon here where the award season. And we're going to see how it's going to impact them and what changes are going to come. If, if the Oscars don't get movie theaters open soon, then they're going to have a major problem. But well, I, I agree with you to a, to a point, but I think the, the Emmys are in or in a catbird seat right now. Right. The, uh, the Oscars need things to open back up and get back to that normalcy, like we've been saying. Speaking of which, we do have a, a brief update on AMC versus Universal. There was a survey conducted, Michael, and it basically said that 53% of people want more digital premieres, number one. Number two, 40% want digital premieres uh, to become the new normal uh, in the same survey. And then uh, I think they they really dec- made a declaration that people are just not ready to go back to the movie theaters and won't be for the foreseeable future because they also surveyed, uh, you know, all potential moviegoers and they're like, when will you want to go back? And basically everybody's like, we don't fucking know. Yeah. Oh, well, how do you have an answer that's anything other than that right now? And that goes mm-hmm. back to my why would studios release these new films to try to entice people into the theaters if people are going to be resistant to going? I, I know I'm probably like an extreme case because I have my own health issues and so does my family and blah, blah, blah. But I can't imagine there's a lot. I don't know if you want to call it 50 percent capacity or 60 percent capacity. I find it hard to believe that people, especially in the hardest hit states, are going to be clamoring to go right out to the movie theaters to be the test balloons, to be the, you know, the mice in the uh, the laboratory here to see what happens. Now, you have a movie theater at the bottom of the hill, uh, basically run by carnies or. <laughs> How dare you? Those let's just say working men. <laughs> two people who run that theater do right, everything. But for the they, grace of God, they're you and me. <laughs> who was the character in Psycho? He ran the hotel with his Norman mom. Bates? Norman Bates runs your movie theater. All right. And it's just that guy. I always see him. And when you drag <laughs> I will not me to sit go there, here and have you else. disparage. All right. But there's nobody else in that movie theater. Basically, Correct. you have to take take a bet. Does Norman Bates have the coronavirus or not? And if you don't think he does, then you can still go to a movie. <laughs> At any time, whenever it opens up. Anyway, I, I don't. I don't think you have to worry as much as regular folks. You're the only patron of that mafia money laundering operation that that is. My soul is in pain after what you've just said here today. That movie theater sucks. <laughs> oh, no. no. I love it's, that. No, it's I, terrible. I in all it's seriousness, though, like, I, I, know, I know it has its issues and you're not a fan of it. Certainly no, not, not up to the par of an AMC, but... That's who I think of when I think of the COVID yeah. impact on the movie industry and the independent. I'm joking. Movie I want your movie theater to survive. Obviously, obviously, you don't I want. I want to Norman Bates to be <laughs> secure in his financial future. But the point is, 
they they're not unique in that there's plenty of independent run theaters just in Connecticut that are just True. owned by like one or a small group of people and mm-hmm. i don't know how they're going to survive this if people if the chains like AMC is is having trouble which we're going to talk about next well that's the thing like a chain like AMC can't buy them up even if they right. were to become available maybe Cinemark could but i don't know AMC the big news today is that their stocks you know, spiked upwards almost to $5 a share. It was down to two, almost to $6 a share, actually up 40 to 45% on the day because rumors were swirling that Amazon might buy up the theater chain. All right. That would be the best possible thing for AMC. I think at this point, if Amazon did swoop in and maybe as far as Amazon goes, that could be the way they pivot their Amazon studios in that maybe they abandon the production side of things and they see their way to make money in the theater game or in the uh, movie industry as being more of the uh, distribution side than they do the production side, which could be smart. They have always respected the windows, Mike, Amazon has. So, and they've had, they've had issues with production I mean, a lot of their stuff, you know, they have success stories like The Big Sick, but a lot of their, they're far more successful producing critically acclaimed TV shows than they are critically acclaimed movies. Right. right. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is great. Right. You, you need to watch that show immediately. You were asking me for a TV recommendation the other day, and I wanted to strangle you through the text message. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a story we talk about in MMOW. Don't worry. What but- is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Every week, I recommend like 15 great things, not good mm-hmm. things. And I'm like, if you watch one thing in the world, <laughs> and then you send me a message like with all these horrible, sh- horrible shit. <laughs> And you're just like, I need one of these three. Pick one of these three. And I'm just, I hated you so much in that moment. I I need you to know this. Yeah. No, I get that. (laughs) It's like you turn heel. You're a wrestler. You're a professional wrestler. You you text me and you turn heel on me. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of like the most offensive show I could say that I started watching (laughs) just as a joke right now, but I can't think of anything. Like the path, really? It's a show from four years ago that got canceled. My back. It's a show from four years ago that got canceled, and you want to watch the path, and you're actually asking my opinion on the path. Yeah, but seriously, have you heard anything about the path? No, look, getting back to the to the AMC side of things, private (laughs) equity lines and lines of credit. Mm have been huge in the movie industry lately. AMC talking about getting a half a billion dollars in funding. We have Endeavor, which is the company, the parent company of William Morris Agency, and they are the majority shareholder in UFC. They have a bunch of other big properties. I think they own Miss Universe right now. They just announced within the last couple of days a $260 million line of equity through private funding, and with that, they also announced they're going to be furloughing and laying off anywhere from 20% to a third of its entire staff of like 7,500 or so employees. So, the point uh, where I'm, I'm, I'm getting at here, and I'm kind of going to make a grandstand politically, is I, I'm going to try to be as impartial about this as possible, but there is this plan in Washington right now, it seems, that they're just insisting the virus is going to go away. And you've had about two months now where you could work on innovation and ways to work around this and ways to help further save people out of work and businesses that are failing and small businesses and big corporations alike alike instead of letting watching them just hemorrhage cash and fend for themselves and i understand the political investment in this is that the conservative anyone with a conservative mindset is going to be very hesitant to embrace a government bailout and big government stepping in and saving companies and corporations and just handing out money to people. And they're going to be very hesitant to watch the government do that often because if that happens often enough and it proves to work and it proves to save industry and people alike, basically the entire conservative uh, establishment falls apart. The whole thing the Republican Party is based on about small government and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and capitalism, that all falls apart if big government is proven to be able to step in, go further into debt, and have no long-term consequences. I understand that. At the same time, you shouldn't let that get in the way of saving people and saving businesses and entire industries that are right now flailing because you're just insisting that this thing is going to go away when the data says that it's doing the exact opposite when states do roll back their restrictions. So so you clearly want a plan B, a plan C. You want it out there. You want it being... 
you know, uh, yeah, I don't cl- understand. clearly communicated to people. Well, it's been two months of this, right, Mike? And we don't have any any kind of grand plan other than it's time to get back to work. Yeah, the only pushback I would have, and you basically said that in trying to highlight the political divide. What, what I would ask you is, and again, I don't want to have political argument here, but if plan B is good, is going to have to be put into action, then that means plan A failed, right? So if plan A can only succeed if people don't know that plan B is an option, then so that's my ca- Right, and I understand that. I, I completely understand that, and I completely understand you don't want to be reliant on the government, you don't want the government to run everything, and you don't want to feel like it's going to swoop in every time. My response to that would be, one, plan A has essentially been this virus is going to go away on its own. Uh, and, yeah. and two, there's been no evidence that there is anything that's being formulated or thought about behind the scenes for a plan B. If the virus doesn't go away, and I've been saying this for two months now, something's got to give. Somebody's got to do something. We can't just will normalcy back into existence. I don't think that's going to work. And in fact, I think it's going to hurt the country and its economy in the long run, if that's the plan. Because if this thing doesn't go away and it does, in fact, rebound and become even more difficult and more prevalent, that's going to set us back even further and set the industries that are losing money already back even further. So I, I, I just think, regardless of your political stance, I think the executive and legislative branch would behoove themselves to figure out a way to work in concert with these industries to find a plan B or even call it a plan A and pivot and say, this is what we have to do now just to make sure we don't lose everything. I I know there's an election coming, and I know this is going to be a hot-button issue for everybody. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I just don't, I don't have an answer like you, and I'm, I'm as frustrated as you are. I guess it's healthy to communicate that frustration, but I know, I mean, I think in terms of the microcosm that is the movie industry of the overall here, you know, this whole AMC versus Universal is kind of playing out in a similar right. way. You got a lot of infighting uh, people that should be on the same fi- side or just fighting one another, arguing publicly. They're all in terrible shape and they're all losing money. And it's like, you know, the old saying that, you know, you go into the mattresses and the Godfather, but it, war is bad for business, whether that's the Sopranos or the Godfather. I don't remember. I'm not 50 years old. Somebody that enjoys Gabagoo <laughs> said it. Yeah. I'm what? not Tom Hanks in uh, You've Got Mail. I don't remember the quote. <laughs> Line from Holy line shit, that's a deep poll in and of itself. <laughs> Mike, I think uh, AMC versus Universal is is probably going to figure itself out before the country and the global economy does. You use the word microcosm, and that's exactly what it is, because uh, Universal is trying to force normalcy and force the status quo back into the, the movie-going experience. They're trying to abide by, you know, insist that... Uh, AMC, you know, AMC rather, excuse me, is trying to insist that these movie windows that the, the industry has always operated under uh, is what should stand. And yet we have all this data that proves that PVOD in some circumstances is a better alternative and it works. And to me, where I fall on all of this is that show me a time in which in throughout history in which those who advocated for more restraints and constrictions and tried to stifle progress Hmm. proved to be on the right side looking back on it. I, I, I mean, it's very, very few examples compared to the opposite, which has been more fruitful. Well, Claudia Eller from Variety and Larry Light from Forbes, they both wrote like dueling pieces about AMC versus Universal this week. And I would say, go and read those. I think they're two sides of the argument. In either case, I think they're saying kind of what you're saying in many ways. And it uh, materializes like this. I mean, that theatrical going window of 75 to 90 days that's not going to happen going forward that is over and that was probably going away to begin with uh movie theater chains also need to innovate in in a great many ways because streamers have just become so gosh darn powerful disney plus it just everybody has disney plus now and there's a a report i was going to save it for mmo weekly but basically they're saying Disney Plus is going to have 202 million subscribers in 2025. 
Oh my God. That's that's insanity. Well, Larry Lights said it, Mike. The quote unquote digital future is suddenly rushing closer and people got to reckon with it within this industry. And I'm I'm glad we got the chance to talk about a a, a basically a clash like this over the last few weeks to kind of, you know, flush this out. So hopefully they they work it out. Yeah. And the, the reckoning can still satisfy everybody. Just because you can, you could fear change, but you don't have to think that it's going to defeat you. You could adapt to change and adapt to progress and think of the bigger picture and a way to maneuver yourself. I mean, my God, that's what Steve Jobs did all the time. You know, I mean, there's, there's a way in which you can make change work for you. And it's, I think it's a, it's a mindset and I think it's a, it's a way of going about it and a way of enacting a plan. Uh, And I think. You know, yes, the 75 to 90 day cinematic window or the- theatrical only window is gone. But that doesn't mean that theaters are gone because, like we've talked about, you're still going to need theaters for the blockbusters and to get the most money out of the blockbusters. And if you want blockbuster movies to survive and make money, as the studios obviously do, especially the major ones, you're going to be reliant on the theater theatrical experience. So there's there's still a way everyone can embrace change and be happy and I have to believe that's true in all areas of life, including politically during a pandemic. Oh, wow. That's the most hopeful thing you've ever said. But I'm going to add on to that. Like, you need the theatrical movie going experience for horror movies. You need it for a yes. lot of genre movies. I think you still need it for comedies. I think that hit comedy, yeah, can play well during a pandemic while you're at home. And hopefully the King of Staten Island does that. Hopefully Scoob for some kids plays really well. But there's there's nothing like going to the movies, being in a huge crowd, and having a great crowd experience. Whether it's live music, whether it's at the ball game, or whether it's in the movies. We crave those kind of experiences as human beings, right. and only a movie theater can offer that, at least in this industry as of now. You're not going to get that same experience yucking it up at home by yourself or with only a few other people. It only happens in movie theaters. I, I agree, and I, I guess you can we can go on to the next story here. I know we're going along because I got on my soapbox here, so I apologize, right. but a lot more news to cover. So we have Scoob that will be available for purchase on PVOD, but it's not going to be available for premium rent which is kind of a pivot. Yeah, WB is basically following what they did with the Wayback with right. Birds of Prey, except this is a new property. It's basically a direct-to-video kind of uh, marketing move by them. I thought the more interesting change was when the high note from Focus Features, and again, Focus Features is owned by NBC Universal. They already put out Emma as a premium rental. I think it's now for purchase. You know, it's interesting. About a month later, it's now for purchase, and it'll probably be available to rent pretty soon because it kind of already moved on in its windows on premium VOD because premium VOD has windows too now, we're realizing, even though the hunt is still $20. Why is the hunt still $20? Well, you, you teased the debut in a premiere for three different times. You might as well leave it out there to get as much money as you can from it. I guess so. Anyway, the high note is is this Focus Features movie, but it, it also, it's a, I mean, it's about a pop star. It's about an aging pop star who's kind of, you know, reinventing herself, I guess, in, in, in a fun way. The movie seems like a fun movie. I, I figured it had a, a couple quadrants worth of appeal to it. So, I mean, they're taking a gamble, Focus Features is, that this could play for families at home. It's PG-13. So maybe it's one of those movies. I wonder, out of those two stories, if WB is planning on taking a loss with Scoob because the budget for that movie has been more hidden than, like, some government secrets. <laughs> yeah, you've been searching, huh? I, yeah, I have. And I, I, if you find it, if you have it handy anywhere, please let me know because I, for the love life of me, cannot find it. So uh, maybe that's why they're not offering it for rental. I don't know. But there's the underlying message of any of this is... There's progress to be made, and you're better (laughs) off embracing it and figuring out how it can work for you than vice versa, I think. They probably got merchandising deals with the kids' properties, too. Most likely. Like Scoob and Trolls and Mulan. I mean, they can't shuffle those things around on a global scale, especially when your profits are tied to them so much like merchandise has to sell to kids the toys have to sell the games have to sell if it has a you know a companion promotion with burger king or whatever i miss burger king burger anyway king is so underrated too man oh we're so fat anyway let's talk about fat. film festivals <laughs> yes but i mean that's why they're 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 basically forced to release the kids movies when they're releasing them at least that's what i think or ann thompson told me so so mike <laughs> 
can officially canceled its physical edition. They're partnering up with fall film festivals. They think they hope it's not going to be a virtual festival for can. They're simply going to label their film selections in June. They're going to label them can 2020 and they hope to be rolling these movies out in festivals such as Toronto, Deauville, San Sebastian, New York, Busan, etc. Except, they are going virtual for their film market, which is going to be online right. June twenty second. So they are kind of embracing this this new wave of the online. But that's film a closed. Festival. Yeah, that's right. a closed thing. I right, mean, right, breaking right. news in Yuba County: Aquafina's movie clip. They did a cliffhanger remake. Where did that? How did that get past us goalies? Anyway, oh, Cr- who's uh, Chris, who's who's hanging off the rocks? I don't know. It's a female remake of Cliffhanger. So nice. who knows? Chris nice. Hemsworth and T- Tiffany Haddish have a down undercover movie or i guess it's an australia spy movie that, comedy did you just pull that out <laughs> like you don't know what it is and you're just inferring the plot guessing. off of the name of it good guessing good. the plot good. in a very quick <laughs> and irresponsible way here at the end of this episode but you're right i was hoping that's what you were doing with that one but look the larger yeah. point is they are going online they are using the virtual tool for at least their film market portion of this i think if you don't want to have a whole festival online you don't want to figure out the machinations on the how to have that work for you i think just labeling something as a can entrant is unique it's it's not something i would have you know thought of if left to my own devices and i think that mm-hmm. makes sense in a way and yes they're probably not going to have awards attached to this this year maybe they figure out a way to do that as well but it goes back to what i said earlier in the episode because of the difficulties these film festivals are going to face, I just think you're going to have to have some kind of cachet already attached to your movie in order for it to gain any sort of momentum via word of mouth. Unless this COVID goes away completely and like TIFF and all those late year festivals can completely run as normal. And it's a, you know, Solomon's baby kind of scenario where if they release the movies virtually like South by Southwest did, then you're basically taking away their profits. So nobody's going to go in for that. Even with this We Are One uh, festival on YouTube that's happened that Cannes is a part of. I mean, they're almost looking past that at this point. I mean, I'm going to be interested in watching hopefully some up-and-coming filmmakers, you know, put their stuff out there to get some notoriety in that We Are One festival as well. We will be covering that in some way, shape, or form. But they're not planning a hybrid festival format like it seems the New York Film Festival is doing, like the Oldenburg Film Festival is doing in Germany. Those seem to be planning some live events, some screenings if possible, but also some particular digital experiences that they're not really letting us know what those are yet, but that's supposed to happen in New York September 25th to October 11th. So there's going to be something unique from New York Film Festival. Yeah, I wonder if they even know what they are yet or if they're still in the process of figuring them out. But the the underline, the the underscore of all this is at least these festivals are trying something. They're mm-hmm. all trying to adapt in some way, shape, or form. They're all trying to make their mark on the film year of 2020 and not have it be a totally lost cause. It has to be incredibly difficult. I mean, they're all taking a bath financially, I would assume. And, you, I mean, that has to be the, the fact of the matter. And it sucks. And hopefully 2021 uh, will just come around and they can all be the better for it. Can I just go into a coma, a self-induced I mean, coma, and sucks. get to 2021? This sucks so hard, well, thank, especially... Thank God for podcasting, though. Thank God for you. <laughs> thank God for your family. Thank God for everything. We're able to do this and somehow talk each other off the ledge every episode, every week. We have to do it three times a week, which is a little crazy of us and of the people listening now. But, I mean, we really appreciate everybody listening and uh, I, I'm really glad to do this. So we didn't know if we were going to be able to record today, Mike. And thank God we did because we got into some stuff that I needed to get off my chest. I know you needed to get off yours as well. Yeah, I try to avoid the, the political soapbox on this as much as I can. <laughs> and sometimes it's just inevitable. And speaking of embracing the change, that's what I have to do less of, I think, sometimes. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, thank God for thank God for you. Good, sir. This was a great conversation. Thank God to all our listeners. Uh, we cannot thank you all enough. And like always, we do want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we covered in this OR 
RC episode as well as anything we do in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those at always. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including an especially Apple podcast. If you happen to be quarantining with us, let me just try to kill an hour or so of your day a couple times a week. We cannot thank you enough. And in return, if you would take 10 seconds, if you could just hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts or the Apple Podcast app, that would be a huge, huge help to us. And we yes. cannot thank you enough for that as well. Michael, you've already teased what's coming in MMO Weekly, but tell the good people what's more is coming next from us and also some words of wisdom. So we decided we're going to review Capone and we're just going to have fun with it. <laughs> it's going to be a bad movie. We think, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll like it. Maybe it'll yeah, be one well, of those. Look, our, our expectations are pretty low based on the trailer exactly. and based on uh, how the movie's been handled. So it's got a lot of, a lot of room to easily surprise us. We're not going to wallow in it, in, in the shit of it, because apparently he shits his pants a lot. But, like, maybe we'll do 15 minutes non-spoilers, but we'll spoil the fact that he shit his pants because everybody spoiled it. Anyway, he poops himself. I don't know if yeah. you know that, but in it's honor a movie about a gangster. That, we'll be doing it while pooping our pants. So stay tuned. Sure. Mike, MMOW is going to be next, though. We're going to review The Last Dance, and it was so good. I haven't Jordan watched it show. yet. I haven't oh, watched it Oh, my yet. God. The best two episodes yet. If you don't love it, then just don't talk to me about TV ever again. We're never doing an Emmy show. Never. I'd just be so mad at you if you don't like it. So you better like it. You, you're forced to like it. You understand it's just going to be me reviewing Married with Children from 1990. <laughs> Mike, I also watched The Assistant, St. Francis, Spaceship Earth, so I'll have a couple movie reviews. And UFC 249, which I will be very brief You with, did watch that. Loved it. Oh, man. I, I awesome. Have, I have thoughts on that. and uh, I did not watch it, but I have I have thoughts about the preparation and the presentation of it. You don't like real fighting. <laughs> Two men got thrown off the side of WWE headquarters last night. That's why I didn't watch oh the last God. dance. So well, that's what you. I could talk about. So you'll have the money in the bank review. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, baby. words of wisdom, Mike. Uh, I just want to say this. You, you guys have the power. So all of the stuff we're talking about, all the movies and whatever format that we're talking about those movies exhibiting in, you have the power out there. If you want to watch them on VOD, purchase them on VOD. If you want to go and support your movie theaters, go buy you know the VOD that's happening right now with the virtual cinema and support your movie theaters. And when the movie theaters open up, you have the power. If it's safe, you know, go and support them and 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 you know, mask up and go see the movies. That was a very uplifting way to end this potentially negative episode. <laughs> and I commend you for those words of wisdom, good sir. I am so used to having to do this at this stage in our <laughs> podcasting lives that I'm, it's probably the best thing. I, I, I mean, I, it's probably the best thing I do. Let's just say. <laughs> when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies and talk about all this news with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.